Hello and welcome to How to Win Friends and Influenza, a podcast all about life in medicine and various specialties as a doctor. My name is Lily and I'm your host. So in this youthful, exciting episode, you might notice that my voice is a little bit huskier and more attractive than normal, although it's always attractive, of course. But what that says is that respiratory infections can be quite common. And especially in children, it can be very normal to have quite a few throat infections or other respiratory infections in a year. Another thing that kids do is yell and scream a lot, and that can certainly contribute to a different sounding voice. So it's only appropriate that in this episode, we talk about pediatrics. Now, pediatrics is medicine that deals with kids, but some people say that half of it is also dealing with adults because you also have to interact with the parents or carers of those kids. So to learn more about this very, very exciting specialty, we have Dr. Louisa on the show. So welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm really excited to tell people about what you're doing in pediatrics. So can you tell us what you're up to at the moment? Yeah, sure. So I'm a general pediatrician and I'm currently working in metabolic genetics at the uh, Children's Hospital at Westmade. Um, So basically, this is an area where we look after children who have genetic causes um, for metabolic disorders. Um, So they may have absence of certain enzymes in their body. Um, which leads to the overproduction or underproduction of um, various chemicals. We work in a multidisciplinary team of doctors, nurses, dietitians, and social workers and provide holistic care for these children and their families. Okay, now before you got to this metabolic haven, you also trained in general paediatrics, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so I um, went through my training in uh, general paediatrics Uh, Worked across various hospitals within Sydney and rurally as well. So including Children's Hospital at Westmead, including Sydney Children's Hospital at Randwick, um, peripheral and rural locations as well. Yeah. Okay, so you've got quite a history in paediatrics, but when did you decide you wanted to do this? Did you know when you yourself were a child, when you were a medical student, or maybe when you were a junior doctor? Um, Actually, yeah, from from quite early on, I was interested in paediatrics. Definitely at medical school. I enjoyed all my paediatric rotations. It's something I was always interested in. And I think some of the reasons were it's quite a rewarding job in that the majority of the time the patients get better. The children can become very sick very quickly, but the majority of them do recover. And so that's quite a nice nice experience and it can be quite rewarding um, being involved in in that care. Now, anecdotally, some people say people who work in children's hospitals are a little bit nicer than people who work in adult hospitals, who may at times be a little bit more stressed and grumpy. So in your opinion, do you think there is anything different about the personality of someone who wants to work with kids? Um, I do find that the culture is is quite positive in paediatric environments. I'm not 100% sure of the reasons for this. Perhaps to work with children and families you need to be a little bit more patient, you need to be a little bit more flexible. Uh, It's probably less rigid than adult medicine because you can't sit there with a screaming two-year-old child and do a systematic cardiovascular exam. You need to work with your environment and situation. And so I think people tend to be a little bit more flexible um, and also because in paediatrics you are caring for the child and the family, um, it tends to attract people that are, that are 
you know, willing to take this on um, and, you know, feel positive about engaging the, the whole family and the healthcare team. Yeah, so I do feel that it's quite a positive environment to work in um, and this was one of the other things that attracted me to paediatrics. Yeah. Okay, now common teaching would say children are not just small adults but there is a quote that you know as an adult you're just a tall child holding a beer so if we talk about demographics for a bit what is it that you think is different about children compared to um, typical adults compared to geriatrics? Yeah so I think um, in fact there actually are some similarities between paediatrics and geriatrics um, in that you have a vulnerable population that you need to advocate for. The care needs to be holistic in association with the family and with the other um, care providers. But I think the main difference between children and adults is, you know, first of all, there are the physiologic differences. Um, as you said, children are not small adults, so <laughs> there's a lot of differences, uh, even on a practical level. So just the prescribing of fluids, the prescribing of medications, you need to be much more careful. You need to go uh, weight-based dosing, you need to know what's safe um, for children and what, what's not safe in terms of certain medications. Um, you also need to know how to recognise an unwell child and I think this is probably a bit different to adult medicine um, in that a lot of people describe a gestalt which is just a general feeling you get when you see an unwell child uh, rather than so rather than relying just um, on very specific examination and observation findings, which of course come into it, um, but as a paediatrician there is a, a gestalt feeling when you see a sick child, and this um, ability develops over time. So I think that would be some of the differences, as I mentioned before, advocacy as well, um, because children are vulnerable and all paediatricians I know are really passionate about children's health and well-being, not just physical health, but their mental health. Um, and, you know, basically um, also justice and equity for, for children as well. So, yeah. Now, going back to something you said earlier, I found it really interesting when you said paediatrics is in some ways like geriatrics. Yeah. And that's really funny <laughs> because I was talking to an aged care um, nurse yeah. the other day. Yeah. And we were just laughing about, well, not laughing about, medicine is serious, yeah. but we were talking about how in paediatrics it's a child brought in by a parent. In geriatrics it might be a parent brought in by a child. Yeah. So that brings us to the idea of dealing with a patient as well as a mm. carer. So mm. in your experience, what mm. is it like talking to parents? Are they, mm. um, are they very, very helpful or are mm. they overly anxious at times? Mm. Do they make your examination easier or harder? Look, I think, I think it's really nice to have a really engaged um, caring and motivated parent um, because as I said before children are vulnerable and they need an advocate and this is one of the benefits of paediatrics the parents um, in the majority of cases are able to advocate for their child and this is something probably people in the middle, middle stages of life perhaps don't have and some elderly people as well if they're lonely and isolated they actually don't have anyone to advocate for them um, and this is something actually when I did my adult medicine I found it quite saddening to see elderly isolated people without any family support. So um, so overall it's I find it a positive experience in engaging with parents and families in caring for the child. And you're right, it's you have the child and you have the parent and you need to know how to interact with both of them and how to engage with both of them and it is it is different. Um, but you you sort of learn this over time and learn how to how to best approach this.
Now, speaking of interactions, there are many different approaches that doctors can take when they yeah. speak to patients. Yeah. So the two extremes are treating a child like a child and being yeah. like, how's school? <laughs> oh, everything's good. Oh, you're such a good child. You know, that sort of baby yeah. talk yeah. versus treating them yeah. um, a bit more maturely yeah. like an adult. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose you could have anything in between. Is there yeah. a right approach or is it purely just whatever suits you? I think everybody develops their own approach with time. I think something that I think everyone can learn and some people feel a bit scared when they first start, especially if they didn't grow up around young kids, is they don't know how to interact around kids. They just, they're, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to talk to them. And you learn, you can learn those skills. You just need to um, try and engage with them on their level. There, there is important physical cues as well. So it's important to, um, you know, maybe squat or sit down to their level and because if you think about it from a child's point of view you're a huge adult and you're really scary (laughs) you know it's important to try and engage them by maybe talking about something they're interested in um, rather than jumping into the medical stuff so so I do take more of the approach of trying to make the child comfortable and and treating them more like a a child as you say as you say rather than an adult Um, obviously you know we deal with children across the lifespan from infant to 16 years of age and obviously as the child becomes older and becomes an adolescent it is important to try and get them to take responsibility for their own health and then start trying to engage with them um, in a bit more of an adult way. Okay now I actually once as a student did a placement in a vet and my job was to hold the cat while they uh, were doing things to it and this cat was just digging painfully into my arms and I'm like I'm fine I'm fine and so I wondered did you have to be a cat whisperer to go to vet school and they told me you know you just need to love animals and it's something that comes with time so is pediatrics the same or do you think you need some kind of talent like being the child whisperer before you should consider it I don't think you need to have any talent or any experience working with children. I think you just need enthusiasm and interest. And, you know, those other things will, will come with time. Um, you know, you, you'll become more comfortable. Um, as I said, it's very different to, to adult medicine. You, It's probably um, less structured because you need to work with um, the child and what's going on with the child. Um, but I, I definitely think those skills can be learned. So, I, you know, if anyone out there feels <laughs> uncomfortable dealing with kids, um, but they're still interested in paediatrics, I wouldn't let that put you off. Yeah. Okay, that's very inspiring advice. Although when it comes to adult medicine, ironically, yeah. you do need to study a lot of adult medicine before you can even yes. study paediatrics. Yes. So yes. can you tell me about the training pathway in Australia? Sure. So um, in Australia, uh, I'm currently in New South Wales, where it's compulsory to do two general years before you start paediatrics. I am aware in some of the other states that you can do one general year after you finish medical school and then go straight to paediatrics. So it's variable depending on the state. So in this state, you need to do two general resident years. And to be honest, although I felt a little bit frustrated because I knew I wanted to do paediatrics, a lot of the things I saw and a lot of the skills I learnt are still useful. And I think it makes you a more well-rounded doctor. I mean, for instance, you get to do rotations, which may become useful anyway. So I did um, obstetrics and gynaecology, which was really useful, especially when you work in the neonatal unit. You understand what's happening antenatally, perinatally, um, from the perspective of the obstetrician. Um, Some of the other rotations I did were orthopaedics 
and ENT surgery. And again, I remember thinking, oh, you know, this is adult surgery, I'm not really that interested. But they actually had um, children and adult patients. And this, this was actually really useful learning as well. Um, because, you know, down the track in paediatrics definitely looked after children with complex ENT infections, with bone and joint infections. So don't, don't, um, don't feel, uh, what's the word, don't feel disappointed about having to do compulsory adult rotations because you just need to see them as a learning experience. Um, essentially, after the two general years, then you can, then you can register with the College of Physicians um, and everyone does an SRMO year initially and then becomes a registrar the year after that. So essentially you will be one year behind adult BPTs, but this is because paediatrics um, is, is kind of a you know, different specialised knowledge to adult medicine. So there's a feeling that you do need that extra year for um, the safety of the patients essentially. Um, and after that, the structure is the same as the uh, adult college of physicians. So three years of basic training, of which the SRMO year can count for your first year. So then you have your um, first registrar year as a basic trainee and your second registrar year as a basic trainee. Most people do their exams in their second registrar year. So there's a written exam and then there's a clinical exam, uh, which are held a few months apart you need to pass the written exam to be able to sit the clinical exam. And the structure is very similar to the adult physician's exams. Um, once you've got through the exams, there's then three years of advanced training. And you can decide um, which subspecialty you'd like to go into. You can also do more than one subspecialty. Most commonly people do general paediatrics. Um, there are multiple medical subspecialties such as cardiology, respiratory, gastro, genetics, metabolic. <laughs> A little bit biased um, there, but yes, metabolics. <laughs> endocrine, <laughs> renal. Um, there's also acute care specialties, which people may not realise. So you can go through paediatric training to go into um, paediatric emergency training, paediatric intensive care training, or uh, neonatal training. Uh, you can also, if you'd like to do something like paediatric emer emergency or paediatric intensive care, you could separately start through the adult uh, critical care pathway and then um, move into the paediatrics critical care later on. So it's pretty broad. There's a lot of different options out there. Um, there's a lot of different specialties and completely different medicine and lifestyles in all of them. Um, something else I didn't mention was developmental and community paediatrics as well. That's uh, reasonably popular as well because there's no on-call, there's no weekends. So that's the training program in a nutshell. And if you wanted more information on the actual requirements, it would be on the College of Physicians website. In terms of what the training's like, it, it is demanding, I think, like all training programs. Depending where you where you undertake your training. In New South Wales, for instance, um, you are seconded to peripheral hospitals a lot. And this, this is so those hospitals have proper paediatric cover in terms of the uh, safety and best care of their patients. In these peripheral jobs, uh, you will often be working shift work. You'll often be 
predominantly seeing unwell children in emergency and uh, looking after babies in the nursery and going to deliveries. So I would say that this is a little bit differently structured to adult BPT where it tends to be mainly day jobs on subspecialties with a sort of structured ward round setting. I would say that a lot of paediatric jobs are much more shift work and much more acute care, especially when you're in your basic training. Um, so I think um, this is just something for people to, to think about and be aware of when they're considering the training. Um, what else can I say about training? <laughs> what else did you want to know? There was a long spiel. No, I, I think that's amazing. It makes the podcasting okay. <laughs> extremely smooth. So um, we've just been given an excellent overview of what it takes to become a paediatrician. So what can I add to that? Well, I'd like to talk a bit about your experience, actually. So your training compared to now when you finish your training, yeah. do you notice any difference in the lifestyle and the pressures? So I finished my training relatively recently, um, last July. Um, Congratulations. And I, thank you. <laughs> I think uh, not that much has changed since I went through training, except for perhaps maybe the numbers of people coming through. I think I started just before the increased number of medical students were graduating from the medical schools. So it may be a little bit more competitive to get onto the training program these days. So I think if someone's keen, um, you know, early on, try and get exposed to paediatrics, try and perhaps um, do some, you know, research in paediatrics or some extra courses or something like that just to demonstrate your interest. Having said that, if you're determined to do something, you, you'll get there. And there are people who um, don't get onto the training program straight away, but there may be jobs at other hospitals that are unaccredited they can do for a period of time and then transition into the accredited positions. So I wouldn't let that put people off. Okay, and is it a tough life as a registrar on the program? I think the registrar training can be tough, depending on depending on what you what your expectations are. I think the hardest thing was probably the shift work, and probably the secondment. Um, as you know, as everyone knows, shift work can be quite disruptive to your life. Working a lot of night shifts, working a lot of evenings and weekends. At the end of the day, though, you need to realise that it's only for a limited period of time and it does get a lot better once you finish your training. And also once you get towards the more senior years of training, you can pick and choose what jobs you'd like to do a little bit more um, because you've done a lot of the compulsory requirements and you could choose jobs that are more suited to you from a, a lifestyle or interest point of view. Okay, so shift work sounds like it's one of those things that people should be a little bit aware of before they go down the specialty. Now, I've got another thing which could be good or bad. So a lot of people get into paediatrics because they love working around children. They, you know, children are the future. They want to yeah. make this difference. <laughs> but at the same time, some people shy away from paediatrics for yeah. exactly that reason because yeah. it can be quite sad, quite distressing, especially paediatric oncology yeah. and areas like that. Yeah. So what's your view on that? Is that the thing that makes you get out of bed in the morning or is it the thing that makes you sad about your job? Look, I think... Definitely, it's very devastating and very difficult when a child dies um, or when a child, um, you know, suffers a, a, a severe 
disability or something as a result of an illness. Having said that, it's also there's also sad moments working in adult medicine as well. And, you know, I was speaking to a paediatric oncologist about this when I was doing the rotation and, and said, don't you find this really sad? And he said, I do, but you know what? Um, the children are going to get cancer anyway, so I'm going to work as hard as I can to, to treat and cure them, which was a good point because we can't prevent these horrible things happening. We just have to treat them as best we can. And something that that is uh, quite nice in paediatrics is, as I said before, the increased survival rates. So something like um, acute lymphoblastic leukaemia, which is the most common paediatric malignancy, has a... Um, five-year survival rate now, something like 90%. So much, much, much better outcomes than adult medicine. So, in fact, the the deaths are actually few and far between. Yeah, so that's really excellent to hear. And what I really like about um, what you've told me that this paediatric oncologist has said, it's, it's very... Um, uplifting because it's like saying someone's got to do this work there's got to be hard work just mm. just do it it's kind of that that idea of you know life is hard but you, you're up to the challenge yeah. yeah so what do you think was the most challenging thing or is the most challenging thing about your whole journey in pediatrics so far gosh that's a difficult question uh, it's a challenging <laughs> question about challenges yes um gosh what's been the most difficult thing in my journey so far I think the exam period is always tough and I think that's the same in any training program because you're working full time, you're expected to study on top of that and you're also still learning in the workplace. So I think I think that's a really challenging time and I think it's important during that time of training that people are able to put it in perspective and realise that it is only a short time. It's important that they do mobilise all their assets in terms of support networks, in terms of outside interests, outside of medicine, work-life balance, uh, I think, you know, to, to get through that period. Something else uh, in the training that I went through is that a lot of people elected to work part-time around the exams, and this was very accepted within the training culture. And I thought this was quite a positive reflection on the culture we have in paediatrics um, within the hospitals I trained at, that, that there was a feeling that it was acceptable to work part-time um, for lifestyle reasons. You know. Yeah, and I think you've preempted one of my next questions, which is with the exam period, is it yep. just stress around that period? It's not just constant stress the entire time. I think it depends on the individual and on your personality, but it is a high-pressure time um, because... If you think about it, you've only been a paediatric doctor for two and a half years. You often have quite a lot of responsibility, especially when you're working nights and evenings for looking after sick children. You're still trying to learn about all the different um, conditions that can present and how to manage them. But additionally, you're trying to study in every spare minute. And, you know, it's, it's tiring and demanding. So, and I, you know, I think a lot of people find that a tough year. Okay, but it's just that time. It's not like your entire life is going to be this onslaught of no, study and sadness. No, no, no. Okay. And like I said, you can make your own journey mm, and yeah. create your own adventure yeah. in what you want to do. Uh, I've got friends that have taken time off and gone and volunteered in Kenya or in Laos, and there seems to be a, a culture that's very accepting of doing that and having 
um, side projects and a lot of people do have done sorry um, overseas aid work or advocacy work and do you think the hospital matters where you go to or you should just do what you feel like and carve your own path and <laughs> things will turn out? I think it's important to, to be in a hospital that supports you during training, um, that allows you enough study time, that works together with you to give you the rotations you want. Generally, there probably isn't much choice because I think most states have a centralised process so uh, especially to be on the training program I know things are changing a, li a little bit at the moment but I think that's uh, eventually what the idea would be yeah. yeah something you said earlier though was if you really want something you'll end up getting it mm. so I suppose people shouldn't yeah. be put off by whatever happens to them if they go to exactly. a hospital that's yeah. in the middle of nowhere exactly. or not one that they want exactly and sometimes the middle of nowhere hospitals can actually be the best places mm. to learn because you see the interesting cases they don't get referred on to the subspecialists some of my most interesting medicine was working rurally because you're it. You see every kid, no matter what's wrong with them, you manage all their problems from every system. And, you know, I think that's the same in adult medicine. If The more peripheral you go, the more interesting medicine you get because it doesn't get siphoned off to subspecialties. Okay. And during times of stress or even times of just not stress, but just being a doctor, how do you and your colleagues tend to stay sane? Do you, do you have hobbies that are really different from medicine? I think it's really important to um, have a good support network within your specialty because it is hard for people outside, especially during that exam period, to understand what you're going through. So personally, I had a study group of three other people. We're still really close now. We did a lot of debriefing at the time. We also tried to make our study sessions social as well, just to keep us sane during that time period. So I think that's really important. Um, and then hobbies-wise, it, it is important to have them. <laughs> I've had, I guess I've had various ones over the years, but during exam time, honestly, it was a bit difficult to... to keep anything going for that year yeah what about now as a doctor at the end of your training what keeps you sane outside medicine oh gosh uh look I think as I said before once you finish your training life gets a lot better um but in terms of keeping me sane besides healthy food because we've <laughs> talked about bananas yeah yeah so healthy eating exercise yeah. uh ensuring that you do do some things that aren't hospital or medicine related you know it's really nice to travel mm to travel for fun as well, not just for conferences, yep. keep up with friends and family and do anything else that's that's important to you. Yeah. yeah. What would you say, looking around all your time from medical school to training to doctor, what do you think are maybe a couple of the biggest mistakes that you would see people make? So, for example, people giving up their hobbies or not taking care of themselves or, or people... Um, you know, saying I don't need friends and just like turning their back on the world, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. What sorts of errors or hazards do you think people should be aware of? I think, I think there's a hazard in, in having the attitude that this medicine is the be all and end all. And I think a lot of, a lot of doctors are defined by their career and by being a doctor. And it's important to try and remove yourself from that a little bit if you can. It can be difficult at times. 
um, depending, also depending what specialty you go into. If you're in a very demanding area, which requires ongoing research, publications, teaching, a heavy clinical load, it's actually quite hard to have any other interests outside. So I think, you know, the main advice to people coming through now would be to keep some perspective and also, also not, not feel, um, not, not, not feel really um, devastated when something they want doesn't happen straight away because at the end of the day you'll you, you get there. So, you know, for instance, failing the exam, um, you know, you'll pass the next time. I know some fantastic physicians that failed the exam three, five times and they've had a great career. So I think, you know, it's just important not to, not to get into those traps of um, really ca catastrophizing when something doesn't happen straight away or in the way that you want it to. Yeah, now on the topic of medicine not being your entire life, but possibly a big part of your life, I guess the test I like to apply is what happens if your job becomes obsolete? You know, will you still have an identity afterwards? So I like to think I'm going to be that entertaining person playing the ukulele around the campfire for everyone else. But, you know, there should be something else besides just that, something that keeps you human, keeps you alive and brings you a lot of fun. And on your topic of not giving up, so there's a story where um, a, a woman, when she was really young, she wanted to be a ballerina. She went and did the ballerina exam. I don't know what that is called. Maybe that's called the BPT as well. I don't know, but <laughs> ballerina exam. And the assessor who was marking her gave her awful comments, made her cry. She ran out of the room and she decided to never be a dancer again because it was just so hard and she didn't like the idea of having failed. When the woman grows up, she has her own daughter. She takes her daughter to the ballerina exam, but she's terrified because she doesn't want the same thing to happen to her, the crushed dreams. And the daughter goes in and she sees the same examiner and they have this conversation. But what he says is, well, the difference between you and your daughter is that your daughter has the attitude that she's going to keep trying no matter what. And the reason you didn't succeed is because you chose not to succeed because you failed. So when the daughter, I forget how the story goes, but let's just say in my version of the story, um, the daughter got terrible comments, but she came out smiling and being like, well, I want to do better next time. That is the difference. So it's the person who's optimistic and keeps trying who succeeds despite failure. And they might not even fail. So that's only worst case scenario. And I guess when you think that the worst case is not even that bad, hmm. then things get put into perspective. Definitely. And at the end of the day, every job and every year of training is all learning. Hmm. And at the end of the day, if a particular training pathway doesn't work out for you, you've, you will have accumulated so much skills and knowledge that you can take to your next journey. So... But I think your original question was, what would you, right. what would you do if you didn't have your, didn't work your job? Gosh, um, am I allowed to pick another job? Like, yeah, I don't know. I'd probably Actually, go into government or corporate oh, okay. or something. Okay. Let's just say if pediatrics <laughs> became obsolete, was overtaken by these sure. caring. Sure. nurse machines or sure. something sure. or like like in pokemon when they yeah. have those um yeah. poker hospital yeah. pokemon yeah. um yeah. <laughs> what yeah. um specialty in medicine do you think you would then do gosh what specialty that's a really difficult question i think i'd probably go non-clinical oh, okay. <laughs> i don't think i could change to another one now it would be a bit uh, i'd feel like i was starting from scratch so, yeah, probably go non-clinical. Yeah. Right, and that's an in interesting question mm. that we have talked about before. Mm. When you transition from adult to child medicine, mm. there are a lot of general principles mm. that are the same, like mm. a super, super high mm. heart rate could be worrying, <laughs> low blood pressure could be worrying. Yeah. 
but the child parameters are different from adults. So how much adult medicine do you think you retain? For instance, I wouldn't be comfortable going into an adult AD and working a shift on the floor as a JMO at this point in time, unless I was supervised and had mm. support. Because you're right, there are a lot of differences, particularly if it was something like an acute setting. ECGs are so different in children and adults. <laughs> There's a lot of pathologic findings on an adult mm. ECG that are normal in a child. So I would probably be missing uh, ischemic episodes. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, the general base is there from medical school and intern and residency, but I don't think I'd feel comfortable treating adults at this stage unless I were to do some sort of supervised time. Mm. Yeah. And just to add to that, it doesn't mean that you have no skills. Obviously, you are very skilled, especially in paediatrics. So um, I really like what you said to me when we previously spoke about this, that um, a lot of medicine is specialising because you want to get more knowledge in that area. So, yeah. for example, someone who does cardiology will just know a lot about the heart yeah. and not necessarily much about yeah. Yeah. other systems. So it's not yeah. that by doing paediatrics you yeah. necessarily give up adult medicine and that's a yeah. terrible thing. It's by going into any specialty you are making trade-offs on knowledge. Exactly. And what you said actually about um, specialists and generalists, and this is something I do like about paediatrics, is as general paediatricians we are one of the last surviving generalists uh, because I don't think adult physicians are really around anymore. And that was also something that attracted me to, to paediatrics in the first instance, just the ability to, to be able to see varied presentations. Although I'm currently working in a subspecialised area, <laughs> we still look after the holistic care of the yeah. child and deal with many medical uh, issues that they may have. Yeah. yeah, because when you have metabolic issues, that can spill over into so many exactly. systems. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, it's been an excellent interview, and I think to finish off, uh, let's summarise. You can repeat anything you've said before, <laughs> but my final question is, what are the top three best things about paediatrics? So the top three best things, I think uh, it's very rewarding job. And in fact, when you look at physician surveys, uh, job satisfaction for paediatrics is right up the top. And I think it's rewarding because the children get better the majority of the time. I think the second thing I like is wherever I've worked in paediatrics there's always been a great culture and great teamwork of doctors, nurses and all of the staff in the team. And the third thing that I like about it is that you do care for the child and family in a holistic way and you're also advocating for the child's best um, best needs as well. So I think those things, those three things all make it a really satisfying area to work in. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your excellent wisdom and advice. We've heard a lot about your personal story, about good and things to be cautionary about type things in paediatrics, and also quite a lot about the training pathway. So this gives people a great idea of what to expect. So thank you so much, Dr. Louisa. No problems. Thank you. Now that you know all about this area of children who are not just small adults without driving licenses, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of How to Win Friends and Influenza. Bye.